put the processes together and look at the steps that you went through that caused you to connect with that person. And then you, you can have a framework around connectivity capital. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Welcome to another episode of Business Lunch. And today's a snackable episode with Roland where he's going to get into some more tactical strategies that you can start using to live a rich and happy life. If this is the first snackable episode you're hearing, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes that Roland has put out. And if you want to get notified every time we release a new episode, go to the new businesslunchpodcast.com website and we'll send you detailed notes along with every episode. That's businesslunchpodcast.com, www businesslunchpodcast.com and you can sign up for the free email newsletter where you'll be able to get all the highlights and resources from the episodes. The next biggest challenge that we generally hear is how do I get deals? How many of you are having challenges getting deal flow in terms of leads of people to talk with? Don't be shy. Raise your hands high, guys. You guys are all like elbow up hand. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then straight down again. It's like so back much in the work to get it all the way yeah. up there. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Little T-Rex arm. Um, okay. So then I want to talk a little bit about deal flow and, um, Christopher generally handles our first onboarding sessions for the first eight weeks of new people that come into the Epic program. So I'm going to have him talk a little bit about he, how he generates deal flow. I'm going to have Jalitza talk a little bit about how she generates deal flow. And then we want to answer your questions on what you're doing. And, uh, oh, Daniel's back there too. And Daniel's going to do that too. So Christopher, come on up. Uh, and Daniel, do you want to come up as well, please? And Jalitza, I have two chairs, so there'll be no waiting. So you can start. Um, so I just want you, I want you guys to see how deal flow happens. So take us back to, you don't have any deal flow and how knowing what you know now, would you generate it? Uh, maybe share some of the mistakes that you made and then uh, what's working for you best right now. Wonderful. So let's go back in time to a few years ago when I joined the Epic program and I was very hungry to be massively successful in what Adam and Roland and Deanna and the Baileys were teaching me to do. The first thing that I did was removed friction of decisions. So if you coach with me or if you've seen me at these live events, I'm always wearing the same thing. I never wonder, what am I going to wear today? I have a uniform that I wear. When I first started generating deal flow, there were CR CRMs, there was tools, plugins. Should I outsource to the VA? And I wanted to remove as many of those decisions as possible so I would do it. So what I did, I started out with a spreadsheet and I just put name, link, date, message sent. And I started with LinkedIn and I was manually sending out messages, no plugins, no CRMs, no tools, no bots, none of that fancy stuff. I would go into LinkedIn. I would search digital agency owner or Shopify or whatever term I was looking for. And then I would send them a message. So number one is remove the friction of decisions. I'm not saying you can't use a CRM or a plugin or AI or a virtual assistant. What I'm saying is to do the work first so you understand the process. I can't manage the process with a VA if I haven't done it myself. That's a belief system that I had. It's a belief system I still have. The second thing 
was to standardize the process. Earlier, I was out in the hallway talking with Glitz about coaching and how my coaching is very standard. I follow a recipe. So the same students hear the same stories on every single week. So they have the same experience. I did the same with my messaging because if something was not working in the process, I could find where in the system is it broken. Most things are process problems, not people problems. So I had a script and my script was, my name is Christopher. I'm an investor looking for a digital e-commerce businesses doing $3 million a year and 15% at profit has been in business for five years, has at least five team members. Do you or anyone you know fit this criteria? Now, I'm not asking a yes or no question. I'm asking, do you or anyone you know, which is going to elicit a response. Then on my spreadsheet, I put that was the message that I sent. And that's called my step one message. And then based on what they would say back, I had a step two message. The reason why this worked really, really well in the beginning for me is I was doing the work myself without tools, without AI, without CRMs, without virtual assistants. And I was able to have a formula. For every 17 LinkedIn messages I sent, I got on average one call. So if I wanted five calls, I just knew, okay, I needed five times 17 because that was my success. Once I got really, really good at that, then I started to train my team. And because I had done it myself and I knew the pitfalls and the shortcuts and how long it took me, I was able to say to my team, hey, I've been getting a success of one out of our 17 messages turned into a call. You're going to be doing this for me for time. You're going to be able to do better. So I would expect you, let's my team member to be able to get maybe one out of every 10 calls. And then I started to have deal flow and autopilot. Now, what were some of the mistakes? Because Roland asked me specifically to cover that. Who here would like to hear about a mistake I made in the deal flow process? Great. I've got some for you. (laughs) So in the beginning, when I was focused on LinkedIn, the value of me doing it myself was I was able to look at people's profiles and then make an authentic comment in my message. So, hey there, Bob, it's great to see you. I noticed that you're in Texas as well. Hey, by the way, my name is blah, 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 and then send out my message. The challenge in doing that, when I delegated that, is my team was not really well-versed in how to build rapport off of profiles. So it'd say, hey, I noticed you're the CEO at ABC Corporation. Well, that's a dumb thing to say. So I had to standardize what are the things we're looking to create rapport in that message. Also in the beginning, I took too many phone calls, which I actually don't think is a mistake now, but in the beginning, I was running an agency. I was doing our Epic program. I was doing deal flow. I was working all around the clock because I wanted to get this. What I created in my process to screen my calls was a set of questions. So I met a lot of people who were interested in selling, but many of them were too small or many of them, the cap table was too complicated. What does that mean in layman's terms? That means that they have investors or partners, so it's going to be too difficult to do a deal. I prefer really simple tables where I've got just one seller. Maybe there's two partners where I can talk one-to-one. What else was a mistake in the process? Well, when I took this to email and here's you know, every story is the hero's journey or a cautionary tale. So this is a cautionary tale. I then I wanted to duplicate my success from LinkedIn and go to email. If I had done so well with LinkedIn, of course, it's going to do great with email. So then I sent out 1107 emails in two days. Who wants to know what happened? 
Yeah, not a single reply, not a single click. And then my domain, because I used my main email, got totally spam. Now, thankfully, we have fixed that and that was a long time ago. But I also used now the power of discernment to ask myself, I do want to take massive action, but what consequences could come as this? A consequence was... I spent all that time doing 1,107 emails and then my domain got spammed. I had to work to get back in the good graces of Google. So when you're doing your deal flow, and I'm going to say this and then pass over the mic, thank you for your time and attention, is number one, how can you remove the friction of decisions? Now, I'm not here to poo-poo CRMs or VAs or AI. For me, though, it was about how can I create a standard? It's the same reason I wear the same thing when I coach and the same thing at live events, because I want to the best focus on what I'm doing. I don't want to be worried about anything else other than serving our tribe. That's why I do what I do. The second thing was, how can I standardize this with my messaging? Because if it's not working, it's only a couple of things because it's process-oriented not people-oriented. So I want you to give yourself a break. If what you're doing is not working, it's probably not you. It's probably your process. So what's the message you're using? What's the target you're going after? And how are you finding those things? And then number three, use discernment. I know I teach all of y'all to take massive action and to implement exactly what you want to do in order to achieve your results. But as a cautionary tale, I probably wouldn't recommend sending 1107 emails in two days. So thank you for your time and attention. I'm going to pass it over. I'm going to pass it over to our amazing CFE coach, Glitza. All right, because I'm all about efficiency and time management. I do everything he does. And um, no, but I, what I do is because I go after home services companies, you kind of have to understand the target and the avatar that you're going after, right? The way that you're going to approach someone that owns a construction company and runs an HVAC company or a plumbing or you name it, in my case, it's completely different from someone that is running a digital marketing agency or an e-commerce business or a tech company or a medical company, obviously, because I understand my avatar, because I do it, I run it, I started a company from zero to almost eight figures, I am able to understand that we navigate in the phone and the emails. Most of the people that run construction companies are not on LinkedIn. And because I understand that, and those are the companies that I want to go after, that is not the way that I approach them. So um, knowing and understanding how they manage their day and how do they manage their communication systems, I started my outreach program with emails. So why? Because we're looking for, did the city inspector send me a report? Am I getting a bid request? Are we talking to our, um, I don't know, plumbers, electricians or whatever. So we navigate in that world. That's the world that I decided to do my outreach program for the CFE and acquisition. I do consulting for equity for businesses that are um, maybe doing low seven figures and they want to scale to eight figures. But I also buy companies because I want to go after market share. So I want to expand to different markets. I want to increase the 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 footprint that we have within Texas. So that would be the first thing that you I would suggest you guys do is understand your avatar and kind of understand how they navigate the communication system. So for me it's email outreach. Obviously like he said, I understood like that one of the mistakes that we make. I was like, okay, I'm going to hire someone to tell them uh you should do this. So I threw a good person into a bad system. Not don't do that. So understand how your system is going to work. Kind of like 
map it out for them and tell them, this is how I want you to outreach, like create the outreach program. This is what you have to say. This is okay. What happens if they say yes, then you book a call and who is going to take the first call? Maybe because of time constraints, I have someone take that first call for me. Or if I know it's going to be a deal that it's going to make sense, I take the first call. And then after that, if the deal is a yes or no, then they go through a process. So for me, I would say, understand your avatar, learn how they communicate, leverage the communication channel, and then don't throw good people at bad systems, create a good system for you to do the outreach. And like he said, it's going to create a phenomenal deal flow for you guys so you can basically be busy and not be scrapping for deals. And the other way that I um, create deal flow is through social media. I leverage social media a lot. I'm growing my Instagram channel. I'm always sharing who I am and what I do and how I can help business owners. So on my stories, on my feed, on my posts and everything that I do, I'm always telling them I'm an investor. I grow businesses and I'm looking to either invest or acquire companies in Texas. Very specific. What you guys talked about here uh, like 20 minutes ago, that's what I share on my social media. I add a lot of value there. And so I'm I'm leveraging a lot of what I do here and on the email campaigns on my social media channel. So I have those two emails because that's what I'm, I'm looking for. And that's where my avatars hang. And then social media, because a lot of people follow me there. And I've been getting success with that to get companies and to raise money for my real estate deal. So that's how I do it, guys. And here's Daniel. So I want you to hear what they've said kind of repeatedly. Um, a lot of a lot of us, there's a lot of people that come from a background of marketing and tech uh, and automation and the rest of that. A lot of folks jump into automation before they know what they're doing. Um, you've you've got to do it yourself and know what you're doing yourself before you automate it, because otherwise, how do you know when it's not working or it is working? I mean, is working is easier, I guess, right? But not working, how do you know? If you, if you haven't been through the process yourself, you can't automate a process you don't know. Um, so we want to rush into automation because it's a great thing. I mean, being able to replicate a room full of people with a computer and rules is wonderful, or VAs as well, is great. But if you, don't, if you haven't done it yourself, you, you, it's not going to work real well. Uh, so that's, that is a temptation and a danger I think we all uh, try to fight off or should try to fight off um, is that you've got to do it yourself in your own way. And that's the other piece is uh, everybody here is going to give you great advice, but there's, there is a way that you can take the core of what they've said and apply it to you because you have advantages that everybody around you doesn't have. You have knowledge or connections or, uh, experience in an industry that everybody around here doesn't have. And you have to plug in the stuff that's really good about what they did. And they plugged it into their world, plug that into your world. So I'm going to say that uh, I'll tell you how I did it the hard way um, uh, at the beginning. Uh, but a lot of this is going to be taking what you know and applying the general lesson to it because copying what Christopher doesn't, it, what does isn't going to help you if you're not Christopher taking the great lessons that Christopher has learned and applying to your world is where your uniqueness and your success is going to come from. Fair enough. Okay. Let's talk about my failures now. Okay. So, Hey, look, people down here. Hi people. There's somebody not there. Who's not listening. 
Oh, okay. Never mind. So you're saying there's more than one not listening to me? I'm offended. So uh, I come from a tech background. Tech is kind of my world. So that's where I get the automation thing is I was, I was trying to do that. Um, but what I ended up doing is I ended up starting, like probably a lot of you, starting with a lot of brokers. You know, I had my, my initial uh, deal specification was all around tech. Uh, and so I went into uh, a lot of broker deals looking at tech deals because that, that was going to be easier for them to see, okay, I'm a tech guy. I'm trying to buy a tech deal. Okay, it makes sense. If it makes sense in their mind, it's easier for them to do. You have fewer roadblocks. But I kept on running into a lot of problems where my, my persona, my profile was still built around, I have a 27-year uh, history in technology, and I've done a ton of stuff, but that's who I am. I'm not a business owner. I'm not a business buyer. I'm not an investor. I'm just a, a really outstanding tech guy. It's standing. But the rest of it, not so much. Um, and that, that became a roadblock. So. One of the first things I learned that I had to do is I had to uh, figure out how to remove the friction of all the people constantly asking me, well, yeah, but why, why would you own business? Who are you? What are you doing? That kind of nonsense that I dislike. Um, so I applied tech two ways. My main two ways that I started with were one, I created a very simple website that said, okay, here's, I got my own domain, I guess three. One, I got my own domain, had my own company name, put it in that domain and explained very rudimentarily, is that a word? What I did as far as I'm looking for businesses to buy, this is the expertise I bring, this is what I'm looking to do. Um, and it was not a pretty website. The good news for everybody here, two things, I am gonna get so ADD here. Two things. One is you're the full-on private equity websites suck. They're awful. So the competition, the bar is low. Good news. Second piece of good news, somebody on Fiverr can get you a more professional looking website with about 50 bucks than uh, what's out there for actual private equity people. I look at their websites and go, no, man, you're a scam. That's no way. But they're real. They, they've got hundreds of millions of dollars under under uh, management. And I'm just like, no, that's not a hundreds of millions of dollar website. So two advantages for you guys is the competition sucks and you can get a really good one cheap. So yay technology. So the second thing I did is I, I learned from LinkedIn, my experiences and people I knew. What people on LinkedIn really, really, really hate is a hard sell message coming right at them through, through I am in LinkedIn, they detest it. And they started to, you know, and I started that way. So they started to, you know, disconnect and report me and things like that. That's no fun either. You don't want to be reported. It really limits your ability to do work. And I had spent, so I, again, using LinkedIn was an advantage for me because I had been with LinkedIn as a tech guy from when they started. And I had something like 17,000 connections just from the years of connecting to people. So I had a bunch of connections on LinkedIn. It's a resource I had to use. Now, I recommend using LinkedIn for all of you because that is the modern way people vet other people. If, if you approach somebody on the street and say, hey, hey, I'm Dan, I buy businesses, I'm an investor. How are you doing? 
the thing they do when they get back to their offices, they go, damn, sweet, Houston. Okay, who is this guy? It is the way people vet other people now. So the next thing I did is I, well, I pulled back on the message on LinkedIn, a little less, little less aggressive. And I made my profile sell for me. So here's the thing about LinkedIn. Here's the super LinkedIn secret. Do we have any other LinkedIn people presenting? No. Okay, good. Then I can give the super LinkedIn secret. Here's the super LinkedIn secret. It is you can sell as hard as you want to in your profile. You can be Gordon Gecko. You can be, give me a, give me a hard sell. Give me Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You can, kids. All right. So you can be the hardest selling person you know. Who do you know? Who do you know who sells hard? Who's your generation? Kool Aid Man, what? What do you got? <laughs> See, that's why you listen to him. He's very smart. He doesn't say things off the cuff that he shouldn't. I'm different. So let me listen to names. No. Um, so you can sell really hard in your profile. You can put, you can feature videos of you telling people they're stupid for not spending money with you and, and make your, instead of making your history, your work history, you make your history what you do. So each job becomes a category and you list what you do. Um, I'm not great at this, but again, I work well in areas where the bar of competition is very low. Because the competition bar on the LinkedIn profile is very low, my profile looks great. So look at that. Um, but you can improve on that. You can get much better than mine. I just threw something up there and refined it a little bit until it said what I wanted it to say. So your LinkedIn profile could just sell. And here's how I know that. All I do now, I, I rarely send out direct mails on LinkedIn that are about, hey, I'm looking to buy a business. Here's a business I'm looking to buy. I rarely do that anymore. What I do is I send out invitations. I've got a semi-automated system, but it's legal. Semi-automated but legal system that sends out very low-key invitations. I mean, most of my invitations say something that affect of, hey, uh, uh, I'm looking to connect with uh, other business owners in the state of Texas uh, because I find them fun to talk to, whatever, something like that. It's very short and sweet, targeted at business owners in Texas because that's who I want to talk to. By the way, we buy Texas businesses. That's part of our deal specification. So I only connect with those people in Texas. So when I send them that message, I regularly get email emails. I get IMs back from them saying, no, thanks. I'm not looking to sell. I haven't said anything in the message about selling. I'm just saying, hey, maybe we can benefit each other. I'm just looking to connect. But the first thing they do is they go to my profile and it sells so hard, they react to it right there. Now on the other side, I also got people saying, hey, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this because they do want to sell. But I, the message said nothing about selling, but they get they go straight to my profile and figure out who I am and they get the sales pitch there and that works out fine. So. What I did is I converted to doing a ton of my work through LinkedIn because that worked for me. I did eventually automate and started sending out just real super low-key invitations and my profile sells people. On LinkedIn, that is 100% acceptable and I get a lot of deals that way. Um, so in, in my early days, I, I talked to everybody. That was my mistake. That was my early, one of my early mistakes. I got a lot of people said, hey, we should connect. We should talk. We should connect. We should talk. So I connected to talk with everybody. And my time's about up, looks like. Um, so 
I spent a ton of time on the phone with people that were the wrong people. Um, they weren't business owners is what it amounted to. That Just making that cut. Business owners versus I'm going to sell you on, what are the main three? Um, wealth management, in, uh, time management, and insurance. Those those three are, there's a lot of salespeople out there that come at me with that. And so I just put another layer and said, hey, I'm not interested in this, but if you still want to talk, that's great. 80% gone. So I, I talked to way too many people, but that's that was my deal specification, my deal generation technique for selling really hard while operating within the constraints of, in my case, LinkedIn and the way people wanted to operate on LinkedIn. Just listen to what they're saying and adapt. That. Hang on to that. Do you guys find that helpful? Okay, who has questions for any of these three folks? Got uh, one back there, little chandelier risk going on and a head to get past. Look at that. <laughs> you right. <laughs> Say your name. Uh, I'm Michael. Um, and uh, I guess a question for um, really uh, any of you um, on your on your process. So how did you find, whether through LinkedIn or email, how did you narrow down your list? So if you're looking for e-commerce businesses, for example, like what are the criteria you use? Did you use uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator or the standard sort of non-paid LinkedIn? Like what was, what are the criteria? Great question. So how do you specify your niche more? I do this without tools, especially when I teach my private clients. Super easy. LinkedIn searching. And then you're going to search for your criteria. Let's say I'm looking for agency owners, then I'll also adding keywords. So for example, in e-commerce, I'm a huge fan of health and beauty and consumables. I want them to buy that lotion again and again. I don't want to sell them a bike. I want to sell them a consumable. So I'll search those things in LinkedIn. And what's really cool when you do this manually is then you have this search, then you just save the URL, put it in your spreadsheet. You know, okay, I have 50 agency owners who do health and beauty e-commerce deals, or I've got construction owners who have this, and you just save it and then reach out to them. And that's going to help, especially uh, my man, Timur, wanting to have more clarity in your acquisition criteria, even if you want to play with a few, like Roland said, just to make different searches, but to get very specific. Because the more specific, if you're an agency owner and you do uh, health and beauty e-commerce, I can talk shop with you in a very good way because I can talk about conversion rate, return customer orders, average order value to where I'm speaking your language and I'm not just sending a generic message. Helpful? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Who else has a question? Yes, sir. So, you know, it becoming obvious that we have a number of geniuses in the room because each one has their own. Yeah, not you, Daniel, but the other one. <laughs> Thank but, you. I was I was going to question your judgment there. For yeah, I was a good, good, good choice. Um, even Adam Lyons, for example, he has more of a. I like uh, even Adam. Even Adam Lyons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, oh, sorry. <laughs> but he has Especially like a, Adam he has like a contextual approach, right? So yeah. each one of you have kind of a a separate approach, and um, I know that Chris, when you talk about uh, starting in your own backyard, and Daniel, when you talk about you know making it work for you, and Yalitza, when you're talking about making making it um, um, focused on your target, their communication uh, system. At the end of the day, how do you put all of that together into into one system when there's like five or six different ways that you like, it, it looks like everybody finds their own way of try, doing try it. Asking that as a, as a, a little bit more specific question, 
just to get what you're trying to get out. What what are you trying to find out? Well, I'm well for me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to how to do it in my particular situation how when to, I don't have a background in how, how to how, how to uh, generate deal flow. Okay. When you don't have you know, uh, no credibility, no background. Exactly. Let's just oh, that, oh, thank you for the help. Yeah. On that. Okay, great. And you guys online, if you've got questions, please put them in, and we'll address them as well. So. I'm not picking based on one of you not having any credibility or experience as I do this. I'm just randomly picking. So let's see what Daniel has to say. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, so here's this would be my this would be my approach. Just you come to me 15 minutes in the hallway. How do I do this? From what I know about you, here's what I would say. I would say use your lived experience as your credibility. So for you. I would go globally to expats. You are an expat. You have that experience. You know people who are like you who want to run their life remotely. Use that as your credibility. That is a uniqueness among you, among you, in you, that uh, can you can use to then generate sales because you're now talking to expats. Maybe you're talking to expats who are looking to sell their businesses. Or people are looking to sell their businesses and become expats. Or to invest so they can continue to be expats and not go back. Exactly. You've got that immediate connection with the expat community that none of these other people have. I don't think. So let me, uh, thank you. So let me try to help with that too, um, because what, what he said is to me dead on. If you have value to add, no one gives a crap where you went to school or how many deals you've done or anything else. So the best thing that you can do is lead with value, right? Now, that means that you have to have some idea of what you can do for them, but you've got so much in Epic or Consulting for Equity or Exit Ready or whatever of our programs you've gone through, even if it's just the challenge that you did for free, right? There's so much that you can add to anybody's business that they haven't thought of that they will say, holy crap, let me continue talking to you. They don't care. Everything that you feel that you need that you don't have in terms of credibility is here and nobody cares except you, okay? If you can leave with nothing else other than that, then you will leave with something that will serve you throughout your life in a wonderful way. You just have to add value. Yeah, so uh, two things. Say your name so everybody knows who you are. Yeah, so Alex Neem. Thank you. Uh, Houston business broker. So two things. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, so two things. One is don't overlook don't overlook the importance of affinity. Like I know I know a little bit about your background, right? You used to be a pastor, I think. A lot of folks connect on levels beyond money. Like if I went to say, look, I'm looking for you know business like you know faith based businesses, it's gonna sound really hollow because I'm Buddhist. You know, like. The, Folks don't like, but actually for Buddhist based, right? Right, but I mean, but usually faith based, usually Christian based, yeah, right? So I would use that one. So it's not just your work experience; it's also your core values. Like I said a lot of deals fall apart. Like when I do a deal between a buyer and a seller, I tell them the first five minutes that we have to get along. We don't. This deal is going to fall apart. So you have to look at that. So there's a lot about you as a person. That's also one. The second thing is don't estimate the value of this room. A lot of time, a, com- a big company will hire a consultant company, and they'll they're okay with having a junior consultant in the room. It's not because the junior. It's okay the junior consultant doesn't know a damn thing. 
because they know that that junior consultant's got the backing of 5,000 people behind him. Yeah. So you have in this network, the equivalent of like a, almost like a global consulting organization. So it doesn't matter. You don't know a damn thing. What matters is I can get you the answer. I can get you that resource. You have in here investors. You have expert, experts in every imaginable category, finance, sales, marketing, whatever. So really don't sell yourself. Sell an entire team, right? This is why like Fortune 500 companies are okay letting like some 24-year snot-nosed kid advise a Fortune 500 CEO because they know it's not a 24-year-old kid. It's a 24-year-old kid that's got the fire, a backing of like an entire global organization behind it. So really lean into the network. Don't don't try to like try to like, oh, I don't have this experience, that experience. The moment you shift that, everything opens up tremendously. Cause then you can say, look, I don't have the answer to that, but I can get the answer to that. I don't have that resource, I can get that resource. So just tap into this whole network. Love that. Yeah. Think of yourself as a facilitator. Yep. Go ahead. There we go. Thank you. Okay. Question here. Anybody over here? Okay. You're gonna make me go for the long one with the chandelier risk. Um, so I think Chris Ross again, um, if you keep saying them, then more people will know you, this is for you guys. Okay. (laughs) Um, you guys have already kind of maybe touched on some of the answers, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, everybody here, especially Adam, like seems to be super confident in what they're able to do. Um, when I started my business, right. When I didn't have anything, I thought getting to seven, you know, to seven figures was like a big deal. But then once I got there now, I feel like, I'm like back on the low end again because I'm like, oh, I did it. But like now there's other people who do 50 million dollars or whatever. My th- my question is, how do you how do you have that confidence to know that you can go in and actually replicate like what I did in my business for somebody else? And then what do you do if that doesn't work? And then you're like, well, everybody thinks I'm a failure, I'm a fraud, and I gotta go crawl back in the hole. Okay, hang on to that. We're gonna let Jalitza answer. And um and I, I just want you to, because you said this about getting to seven figure, it is a big deal. Not a lot of people in terms of how many people there are in business ever get to seven figures. Mm-hmm. Okay. So number one, celebrate your accomplishments and don't, don't minimize them because you've now moved to another level. There is always another level. I remember walking through a house when we were, I was like uh, looking to buy a house and it was uh, maybe a $3 million house. and uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself because I had just closed a big deal. And on the wall of the guy's office, as I went in, were all these plaques, $600 million deal, $900 million deal, $2.5 billion deal. And I was like, I suck, <laughs> right? But then I, I, I checked myself and I was like, you know what? That guy's walking through somebody's house going, those guys are doing $100 billion. And I mean, there's always somebody that is higher up the chain than you are, even if you're Elon Musk and the LVMH guy and um, uh, Bezos, you're moving up and down, right? So celebrate your wins and give yourself credit for that. And also say, now I get to do a new challenge. If you can do that, then you'll be happy with yourself and maybe be more confident in what you've accomplished. And so then let's answer the question, which if we're going to state it succinctly, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, Jalitza would be, you've grown your business, I think, to about $10 million now. Uh, you did that relatively quickly. You came into Epic. I think you were 2? 1.8. 1.8. You grew to 10. That's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're out there talking to, I think, yeah. talking to a $30 million company. And you're also talking to somebody who's at 1.8. Mm-hmm. How do you know you weren't just lucky? How do you know you can do that again? 
Is that fair? Yes. How are you not an imposter? Correct. Okay. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer this. So taking a business from zero to seven, it's it's challenging. And like Roland says, not a lot of people do that. But once you overcome that challenge, there are a lot of things that if you did it yourself, you're going to know in the back end, right? You're going to know what the businesses that you're going to go after are going through, which is what we're here for. When we go after businesses on the CFE model, it's because you know that those business owners are struggling and that you or someone else in the room might have the answer for you to get them out of where they're at. What get you to 10 to 7 million to 1 million is not the same thing that it's going to get you to 10 million. So what I would say for you and for us and for any business owner that is out there is you have to create like the scalable model, the three components of a business and any business that 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 you can help with. It's what I focus on. It's like the growth engine, which is like what generates the leads, what happens when a customer comes in. So you have to map that out because every business that you touch is going to have that. They're going to have a growth engine. And so if you map that out and you understand or someone in the room understands that, you can bring that to the table and to any business owners that you're going to talk to that it's maybe in the 7 million, uh, in the 1 million. I don't know why I keep saying seven, the seven figure uh, business model and you want to take it to a nine or 10. Then what happens after that? It's you create or you work on the fulfillment engine. So growth engine, fulfillment engine, it's how can you service that customer? So if you know how to service that customer, you can implement that in any business, e-commerce, uh, manufacturing, construction, uh, marketing, anything, because we we have to, we get the customer, we service the customers, and then you innovate. So if you understand how you did that for your customers, for your own business, you're going to be able to replicate it. Not every business might work in the same way because... At the end of the day, if you're doing a CFE model type of deal, you're collaborating with a different business owner and you don't know how he's going to be to work with, right? If it's going to be he or she is going to be open to collaborating, investing, growing his level or her level of risk management and all of that good stuff. But if you have a clear path of what you did for your business and then you create like, okay, it's a growth engine, it's an implement. Uh, a fulfillment engine and innovation, and you can apply that to all the businesses that you're going to go after, chances are you're going to succeed. And if you don't, that's okay, because that's what life is about. You succeed in one, you fail in another one, but at the end of the day, you keep moving forward. And what you don't know, the answer is always going to be in the room. So create your map, your processes, and then implement that in the businesses that you go after. Thank you. And so one thing, thank you. One thing that made a big difference for me was the recognition that if you can build frameworks around the things that you have accomplished, then they become more replicable. So what I would think about is looking in hindsight at what you've done or what any of you guys have accomplished so far, if you're going through what Chris is going through and say, what were the things that I did to make that happen? And maybe you'll just say, well, it was dumb luck because I met this one person that did this. And uh, I partnered with them and then I had it, or I met this one client and then I suddenly had a seven figure business. And so I'm not sure that I'm all that and could do that again. Well, then I would say, put the processes together and look at the steps that you went through that caused you to connect with that person. And then you, you can have a framework around connectivity capital, right? How do you connect with the people that are the, like, how do you get 
to the one person that can help take your business to seven figures. That's what I did. And I found that there's no faster way to do that. That would be your framework would then go around. Well, I maybe I followed uh, some of the things that Daniel was talking about and I worked on LinkedIn or maybe you know I did outreach or whatever, but that becomes the framework. Beyond that, remember that you guys can always borrow frameworks. We have created at scalable.co a framework around how we've done this hundreds and hundreds of times, right? In our own businesses, it really works. What Jalitza was talking about, we've got a growth engine, we've got a fulfillment engine. That's straight from scalable, right? So we already have the system to do that. And if you don't feel confident or competent to execute or deploy the system, we got people that have done it. We have scalable business advisors. You can go and, and contract with them, by the way. And how many, is there any scalable business advisor in the room? Okay, we've got Daniel and we've got one there and we've got one back there. So you can talk to those people. They can help you. And I'm sure because they're here and I know them, they would be happy to do that as part of the deal or as a consult, right? So you can hire, partner, or contract. This is contracting your weaknesses away. So if you feel that you don't have the ability to replicate the thing that you've done before, think about if you had to build a framework out of that, that would be very helpful to you. You'll actually learn a lot because a lot of us just go through and we've got our successes and we're like, yay. And then we have our failures and we're like, oh crap. But we never go back and really do a post-mortem on how did that happen? And, um, and how would I create um, a framework around that? That was a big game changer for me. So I think that can be very, very helpful to you. And I know that Adam has something he wants to add. Um, I do because everyone here, I love that you mentioned my name and I don't care where any of you guys are from. I was a janitor and I'm doubting there's anybody in the room that came from a level that low. My dad was a janitor. His dad was a janitor on a boat for the, for the military. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. No, no, no. It's good. Hey, and, and if you have, I appreciate it even more because here's what it comes down to. As a generation of janitors, it was just expected you're going to be a janitor. That's what you're going to do. And that's where your life's going to be. And here's what it comes down to. The thing that made the difference for me over and over again is I paid money that I didn't have to be in a room of people that I didn't deserve to be in to listen to people who knew better than me. And that person for me was Roland Frazier. And I remember the first time that I paid money to Roland, one of my very good friends said to me, you don't have that kind of money. I know you can't afford to do what you're doing. And I said, no, but everyone I've ever met that I've looked up to says they look up to Roland Frazier. Every single one of them, without a doubt, you go to the top of the, of the chain and they're all with this guy. I was like, well, then this is the guy that I want to listen to. The first time I ever listened to Roland, I didn't understand like 99% of what he said. And I then made it a point to go and learn exactly how to do it. So for every single person in here, if you want to know where are you going to get that confidence from, that confidence is going to come from finding the people that are doing it, that are already there and working with them. Awesome. Any other questions on what we talked about with deal finding? So I don't have a question. Name, I, I'm Richard Reed. Um, I don't have a question, but I want to kind of comment on... Um, what Chris said. I, I, what Chris said, and um, what you said earlier. I can't remember your name. Um, but Gretchen, Gretchen sorry. Um, one of the hardest things when you're when you're talking to people in terms of the imposter syndrome kind of concept is you're thinking about it most likely from a standpoint of you have to have the answer. 
if you listen to Roland and you listen to Adam, the thing that they do, and I've been around these guys for, well, Roland, I think I first saw about eight years ago. Um, in every single event that I've been to with him, at some point, he asks a question that breaks my state. And if you learn how to ask the right questions and you have the framework that you were talking about earlier as a context to ask questions, most business owners know what it is they need. They may not have been able to articulate it yet or discover it yet. Um, but if you ask the right questions, then you create a framework that allows them to learn and you learn about their business and for you to uncover what the solutions might be. And it's almost never what they think it is. Like money is not usually the goal. And I think the third thing on your list or the this discussion back here was money, money for media. And I don't know all the people in this room, but between this room and the founders boardroom, I can tell you for sure, there are people that have ridiculous amounts of media exposure for almost no money, if any money. Um, so you can solve something like that as a, as a, um, as a need for a business by just creating a relationship with somebody who already has that. Exactly. It doesn't have to be money and it doesn't have to be that you have the specific knowledge of their industry. If you understand the frameworks that the business needs to operate in or the things that the money is trying to accomplish, you can create the right relationships in order to bring that to fruition. And that's the value in the room really is just making the right connections and kind of cataloging what everybody does so that wherever your gap is, you know the who that can solve it. Exactly. And you put those plugs together. That's awesome. Thank you. Nice. Okay. Um, let's give all these guys a big round of applause. Thank you guys. Appreciate you coming up. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available.